Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 5 April 2020 in the time of plague. Um, soaring phone calls, anal prints, yes, I said that correctly. Snake oil, Grace Hopper's ghost, and COBOL makes its big return. Uh, no one has ever said all those things in a single sentence in the history of the world as far as I know. All this and more on the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the countless ways our critical systems can be put in jeopardy. Ransomware attacks, misconfiguration, user error, and malicious threat actors, to name a few. As IT infrastructures continue to grow and diversify, how do you ensure stable security? Core Security, a help systems company, provides an analytics-driven, layered approach to security with a portfolio that enables both proactive and reactive responses. With Core Security, you can reduce risk by limiting access, detect upcoming and active threats, test for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitor data for actionable insights. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. All right. I'm Doug White from Roger Williams University, your host, and welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show. Let's first wrap up all the topics from this week. On Application Security Weekly number 102, Mike, Matt, and John had an interview with Grant Ongers, who's the co-founder of Secure Delivery. Uh, this segment was entitled, You're Probably Doing AppSec Wrong, which, you know, we all agree with. Lots of fun on that. Uh, that, that I, I enjoyed that segment a lot, so go watch it. Uh, on Business Security Weekly number 168, Jason, Paul, and Matt talked with Richard Clark of Cyber Resilience to discuss his new book, The Fifth Domain, a very interesting interview that you may want to uh, to listen to or to, to watch. Uh, they also had a segment which was also very good, uh, but a different topic on three three tips, four behaviors, and 15 steps for remote work. As everybody's doing remote work now, definitely something worth watching uh, as you continue your op from home. Um, I think the 15th step is like apologizing to everyone for your hair and your attire. I, I went with the full on hair thing now because I can't get my hair cut. Um, on Enterprise Security Weekly number 178, Matt and Paul aired a recorded interview with Ed Bellis, the CTO of Kenna, uh, about practical ways to get the time to value in app security, something that's very challenging to do. And they had an interview with Farah Mavatuna, uh, who's the CEO and founder of NetSparker, about, well, you know, about NetSparker, come on. But they it was really about the time to value in app security as well. Uh, Farah's always a great guest, has been on a lot of shows uh, for us over the years. 
Uh, on Security Weekly News number 23, Jason Wood talked about modern developments in ransomware in his expert commentary. So if you are, uh, we're seeing lots of developments there, so it's worth checking that out. On Security and Compliance Weekly number 23, Jeff, Matt, Josh, and Scott interviewed Chris Golden who's from the CMMC Advisory Board. They talked about DOD's uh, release of the CMMC program, which is targeted at reducing false information. This is a new accreditation, um, a new accreditation operation from the DOD. So if you're involved in any of that kind of stuff, military government stuff, very uh, worth checking that out. Uh, in the second half, they continue talking to Chris Golden about what to expect from the CMMC uh, going forward with a lot of information about how to get involved in the accrediting body if your organization is interested in getting involved in all that. And finally, on Paul's Security Weekly, number 646, uh, last, that's, make, that's making everybody feel old, I think, uh, episode 646 of Security Weekly. Um, uh, so they finally, uh, interviewed Jeff Mann, uh, a longtime host on Security Weekly, about his time in the pit, which if you aren't familiar with the history of the National Security Administration, the NSA, uh, back in the 70s, that's what they called the area where they were developing all, a lot of the crypto stuff that is used today. So if you love Jeff Mann, or I guess even if you don't love him, you, you probably want to hear the interview with Jeff uh, from last night. It, it, it was definitely uh, memorable. Um, it was also, it, it was sort of host night out uh, this week, I think, on uh, on Security Weekly. And the tech segment was done by the techiest, most segmented host of all, Tyler Robinson. Uh, Tyler is like the coolest person around, if you know him. Um, he's kind of like me. If I was a lot more laid back and cool and, and better at my job and, and more able to, to do pen tests. Um, but Tyler talked about offensive tooling for OSINT. And there's something he he knows a lot about, and I, I I use Tyler as examples when I'm talking to people about pen tests and things like that. So definitely an episode last night worth uh, diving into. Uh, and of course, they covered all their news stories as well on uh, what turned out to be a great show. Um, my favorite threat uh, of this week is going to continue to be remote compliance. Uh, COVID-19 is still raging around the world, and uh, the rage uh, of COVID extends into pretty much just about everything from OSINT, um, whether it's a collection of data from people, uh, targeting individuals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, literally everyone's screens, um, whether they're bugging sessions and recording proprietary information, exploiting people, password spraying, data collection, phishing, ransomware, pretty much all of this is being targeted very heavily by everybody from you know individuals to nation states. Uh, and most of this targeting is being done because we now have just endless cadres of new home users. Uh, all of us have sent our employees home and are at least all the ones who possibly can work from home. And so there are just scores of new remote users out there running around without a net. So OSINT, protecting okay, proprietary information in public forums, 
Um, and all the while, uh, the cat is setting on the keyboard and maybe actually sending that email to all that you didn't intend to send. Uh, the kids are climbing the walls and throwing things. And all this is cute. Obviously, everyone is enjoying the sort of freestyle uh, backdrops. I've seen everything in the background the last couple of weeks from that unfortunate partner who walked out of the shower in the background and opened the door and said, hey, what's going on? Oh, my God. And, you know, and uh, to um, printed material on the walls. Uh, I saw that uh, this week. Uh, someone had a bunch of network information on stuck up on the wall in the background. And with HD video uh, from home, you can actually zoom in on a lot of this content. So people are doing that. Certainly, we can talk about the, the myriads of teachers and students who all got Zoom bombed uh, and all the board meetings that were being held with public sign-ins. Um, so I think as the cyber professionals that we are, we need to be working hard to get out guidance to our users and our friends and families uh, as this is just going to continue through this month at least and probably longer. So we're going to continue to see this. And I think the other issue of this is is the the uh, the new demands of being able to work remotely are going to persist. Uh, a lot of people have realized that the arguments that they couldn't work from home, that they couldn't function from home, a lot of those are going to go away. And you're going to have more users who want to do what they've been doing. Uh, because of the convenience of it, even after the disasters have passed. So it's kind of a whole new can of virtual worms uh, to deal with uh, going forward uh, from uh, everybody, from users to friends to family. So I'll say this again, uh, please be kind and thank all the people who are risking their health and maybe their lives to keep working in public places, people that we often don't pay much attention to, like food deliveries and or delivery people. Uh, and donate and help wherever you can. Uh, many of us uh, have other skills that may actually be useful. Uh, and then uh, the top news from the week uh, from all the different shows. So I couldn't help but lead with this. Um, New Jersey, the UK, Kansas, and many other states and agencies at the federal, state, and local level are all calling for sometimes volunteers or, or paying, uh, I saw up to $85 an hour being bandied about for, wait for it, COBOL programmers, uh, or as New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy called them, COBOLT programmers. When I saw that, I was like, wait, what is COBOLT? Some other variant of COBOL? Um, <laughs> so there was a, essentially a news frenzy this week about um, all of this, talking about COBOL. And uh, if you, I, I would guess most of you probably do know what COBOL is, but COBOL was a programming language that was first described by the Codicil Committee in 1959. Uh, I actually have one of the original manuals, and no, I'm not that old, but I do have one of the original Codicil manuals uh, from Co Co that I bought. Uh, describing COBOL, and one of my many heroes uh, in life, uh, Commodore Grace Hopper, who did many things beyond just being one of the early programmers, but but she was also one of the first high-ranking officials in the Navy who was female. Uh, she actually served on um, the, the Codicil Committee. Most people thought COBOL was dead, um, but the reality of COBOL 
is that there are still a lot. I'm not going to say a massive number, but I was talking with this uh, with a friend earlier this year about uh, COBOL. He was a COBOL programmer and, and teacher. Um, I was not. Uh, I did teach COBOL once because somebody said, can you teach this? And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And I did deal with it in sort of a roundabout way. Uh, but there were actually a lot of jobs. We were looking at this like long before any of this came about. And there were still a lot of COBOL jobs. And I've seen all these posts about how outrageous it is that COBOL is still being used and how shocking, what a horrible misuse of funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem to me is that the the if it ain't broke, don't fix it effect is very much in play with COBOL. So Y2K back in the late 90s was a driving force to get rid of COBOL because it was one of the prime offenders of Y2K. And Y2K, of course, being the, the date issue where they did two-digit dates instead of four-digit dates on the year. Uh, and COBOL, if you don't know, uh, COBOL was a language where you had to actually spec uh, your variables. So you had to define them. And unlike modern languages like Python and so forth, which have very, very broad definitions of variables, COBOL was very, very specific. And what I saw everybody yapping about about this in New Jersey was that essentially, why didn't they fix this with their Y2K funds? And the answer was they did, uh, but they didn't replace COBOL. Because I don't know about you, but when I have gone into boards and upper management with these new coding and just replace all this code requests, one of the very first questions that's going to get asked of you is, what's wrong with it? Does it not work any longer? And all this stuff was there. These mainframe computers were paid for, monetized, depreciated, and still worked. Uh, even today, obviously in New Jersey, the the, un, the unemployment system and in many other states and, and entities, there are still these big mainframe computers that were paid with millions and millions of dollars back in the 70s and 80s. Code was written. That's expensive things to do. So when you go in and say, we're going to rewrite all this code, that sure sounds easy. But they spent their Y2K funds fixing the code that existed, not replacing it. Uh, that's a very pricey thing, as you well know, when you call in, in a team and say, we're going to redevelop all this, we're going to replace all the hardware, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially what happened um, uh, in New Jersey was these old mainframe systems were put in place. They were built to last forever. Uh, printing checks and calculating how much the checks should be and so forth. I wrote some of that code in Fortran back in the 70s. It was still in place in, in the late 90s because it worked and nobody changed anything. So basically what happened in New Jersey, as best I can tell, is systems that were designed to, pro and I made the numbers up, but systems that were designed to process 100 checks a month suddenly needed to process a million checks a month. And there's a lot of issues there. Uh, one of the things that I immediately, they, they didn't print what the problem was, but I was thinking, what if you use the 16-bit field for your check numbers? So what's the biggest check number you can get? 60, you know, And suddenly check 65,536 shows up and boom, sorry, crash, big problem, nothing's getting done. And fixing that is not as simple as just, you know, going in, well, it, it's actually as simple as going in there and redefining the variables, but it's not that simple. So they need volunteers. I know I spent a lot of time on that story, sorry. I, I was really interested in this. Uh, I saw a lot of people yapping about they couldn't believe it, and the news media really, really liked that story. It was everywhere this week. 
Uh, Talos Security Group found that fingerprint scanners by just about everyone that makes fingerprint scanners from Apple to Huawei, uh, including like padlocks and front door locks and so on, that use fingerprint scanners, they didn't work very well. Uh, this story basically showed that Talos was able to bypass 80% of the sensors that they tested for fingerprints. They used 20 attempts on each device, even on things that lock you out after five, they, they went back, reset, tried again. They did 20 attempts on each device and they succeeded at on average 80% of the time. I don't think they were using severed thumbs, uh, which was always my plan, but uh, I have a pair of bolt cutters you know, at hand, so you know, what, whatever. The worst devices they found were Huawei's Honor 7X and Note 9 Androids. Those got beat 100% of the time. Hmm. So you might want to check out if you're using these as a security measure, just how good they really are. Um, and it's phishing, but you know, phishing works and we keep uh, mentioning it. I, I don't report on it too much anymore, but an email claiming to be a Cisco critical security advisory is actually an ongoing phishing campaign trying to capture WebEx credentials. Uh, the target, of course, is this new nation of naive, uh, naive remote users who are on the popular Cisco WebEx platform for video uh, conversations, which, as you might guess, has gone up significantly. So with everyone at home, well, this is going to continue to get worse. I just picked this one story out of the you know plethora of phishing stories that are out there uh, every week. But this one I thought was particularly interesting and, and Ill, Ill, illustrative of um, just how targeted all these new remote uh, video users actually are. So you may really think about getting your advisories out to all these users um, before it's too late and you get ransomware. A joint advisory published by the UK's National Cybersecurity Center, the DHS and the CISA continue to warn over threats targeting these remote users, uh, particularly involving COVID-19. Most of these attacks continue to be phishing and smishing, uh, SMS, SMS text messaging, phishing attacks, uh, approaches, and they're particularly trying to harvest credentials for VPNs. Uh, and of course, password spraying attacks continue to be uh, the number one sort of source of, uh, of targeted attacks in the world. At the same time as all this is going on, the wild west of Zoom, Skype, and other uh, video exchange platforms has continued to emerge, evolve, and grow with basic attacks just simply scanning for public meeting rooms. I picked this story about Zoom public meeting rooms just as representative of the, again, giant stack of stories about exploits, zero days, attacks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on Zoom, Skype, WebEx, and all the other platforms that are out there. Uh, but there's a lot of attacks right now targeting just public meeting rooms. So people were uh, in, setting up public meeting space on Zoom or whatever and leaving those things open. And so outsiders, nation states, uh, you name it, jump into those meeting rooms and start recording what's going on there, either by recording with just with a video camera or a phone uh, or and or enabling recording on those sites. 
Uh, this has enabled password spraying, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because of the information being exchanged in those meetings. I heard of an example where someone was actually saying, oh, yeah, you need to log into this, and the password for it is in a public meeting room. Uh, of course, Zoom bombing was also a big topic of the week, which is this new fad of essentially pornifying up a classroom during uh, a lecture. Blasting an air horn in a lecture is nothing new, uh, but when the teacher can't figure out how to mute the guests and you can't even see the guest list, uh, Zoom won't display a guest list when there's more than 100 people in the room. Uh, not to mention when the teacher is was a person who was lecturing in a dusty old lecture hall using transparencies on an overhead projector uh, about the fall of the Mesopotamian Empire two weeks ago. Well, it adds up to hacking hijinks and hacking opportunities. So again, get your guidance out to your users. And remember, you have a lot of new users who don't know a bucket list from a zero day. So simplify and test your guidance and get that out there. Um, all this, and uh, please advise your people not to fall for snake oil cures, preventatives, and candles that smell like Gwyneth Paltrow's naughty bits. Um, numerous websites, pundits, and quacks are peddling everything from Eye of Newt to Tiger Tears uh, and promising to cure or prevent COVID-19. You may want to get out some guidance on this. Um, all of this is combined with fishing of the same ilk. Uh, promising cures, preventatives, et cetera, some of which are ransomwares. I don't report on ransomware that much because there's so much of it now, but it is you know, massive numbers and it's growing. Uh, all of this is just revolving around COVID-19. Shady websites and not so shady websites are offering uh, remdesivir, chloroquine, and hydroxychloroquine, uh, all dangerous drugs. Uh, if they're not used properly and particularly dangerous when they aren't even real drugs. So caveat emptor, uh, that cure-all you just bought is made from old Chinese newspapers, panther sweat, and uh, powdered deer penis, so it may not do exactly what you expected. Telco volume is through the roof uh, on top of internet volume being through the stratosphere. Uh, the old-school phone calls made a comeback. Uh, Verizon announced that they were handling more than 800 million wireless calls a day, which is about double their highest previous day volume, which was on which typically on Mother's Day when everybody calls, you know, mom and says hi. Uh, internet traffic is up about 25% overall. Uh, I have not seen any widespread reports about there being giant problems with that. And finally, oh, brother, um, <laughs> I couldn't resist this story, sorry. There is now an AI-enabled toilet that can scan your anus to identify you. Sorry, I, you know, I, I couldn't resist this story. Um, in a move towards IoT that pretty much knows everything about you, and I mean everything, uh, Stanford University published a new study in Nature Biomedical Engineering that described a smart toilet that uh, can measure and test all of your precious bodily fluids as they are expelled um, and test them. Apparently, AI-enabled video of those fluids uh, being expelled uh, I didn't. I did not video, and I strongly encourage our uh, uh, Google. I did not Google uh, the ex 
expelling of precious bodily fluid toilet cam, and I would strongly encourage you not to. But apparently, the AI-enabled video of these fluids can uh, evaluate all sorts of issues about your health, which I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, but uh, but if, if that's not enough for you, uh, that there's a video camera capturing this information, which apparently is going to be stored in the cloud, um, apparently the toilet uses a fingerprint, and we've already heard about that, as well as, wait for it, an anal print to identify you. Yummy. Uh, as, as we saw earlier, fingerprint scanners are, well, not so great. So, and we're always talking about multi-factor authentication here at Security Weekly. So let's add two-factor authentication to this and use the apparently unique anal print as well for added security and accuracy. Now, when they add this to the airport check-in, well, we'll all need those chaps that Larry loves to, uh, so much for the big reveal when we go to the security window. And that's the news wrap-up for the week of 5 April 2020 in the time of plague. Uh, be sure and thank all those people working for you that do your groceries, make food, uh, whatever, not to mention all the healthcare and public service people that are out there risking their lives to try and take care of people that are sick. I'm Doug White from the already online cybersecurity program at Roger Williams University. See you next week on the network that never closes down, Security Weekly. Stay safe.